Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more information on the things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Welcome back, Mark DeWall, to the podcast. Thank you. You excited? I think so. Yes. So Mark 12, 35 through 44. We're just going to deal with a couple of verses here. And when we were doing this in sermon team, we all kind of said, we need to spend some time on Psalm 110. So you'll see the connection really quickly here, folks, but this one will be fun. And uh, we're you're expecting both of us by the end of the podcast to tell you definitively who Melchizedek <laughs> is. And if, if we're able to accomplish that, then you know we are good. And if you're like, I don't know what any of that means, get ready. Buckle up. So here we go. Verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he, his son, and the great throng heard him gladly? Fun times. Now, Mark, where is he quoting that from? That is coming right from the first verse of Psalm 110. All right. So let's go to Psalm 110. So what do you see in Psalm 110 when you go there? So I love that it's such a short psalm. It is. Because some, some psalms just go on and on. Um, yeah, but this is, it, there's a pattern that repeats, um, and there's so many different discussions about Psalm 110. Yeah. And there's many ideas and yeah, not a lot of confidence that people know what's going on, but, but it, there are some things that poke out. Um, there's this set up in verse one and verse four where the Lord is setting up an intro to what the Lord's about to say. Right. And and in some ways, this is described as an oracle or something that the Lord's going to say. So he's setting it up. The, the Lord says to my Lord is what David writes. And then later, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And then after that comes whatever God says. Right. And, and one is, the first one especially, um, has something to do with kingship. And then the second one... Um, is similar, but it also has more of a priestly element to it. And yeah. Then what comes after that is more explanation for what God has just said. So even in these seven verses, you're saying there's a lot that to unpack. Yeah. And there's a lot to deal with. So it is interesting that he says, the Lord says to my Lord, and you'll notice in your ESV, if you're looking down, you'll notice that the first Lord is all capitalized. And if you've never noticed this before, this is really big for us to notice. All those letters are capital, except the last three letters are smaller. And this is the universal symbol that that is Yahweh. That is the, the name of God used in this mm-hmm. way. So we translate it, the Lord says to my Lord. And the reason why we translate it Lord is because they would have wiped Yahweh from the scriptures and they would have used the word Adonai instead of Lord. But then what's amazing is it says the Lord, so Yahweh says to Adonai, and so we translate it as the Lord says to my Lord. And Jesus is saying, how can he say that if there's not something else going on? So how can Adonai say to Adonai unless 
the second one isn't who we think. And then he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then like you said, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And then he says this statement, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we've got this idea that there's someone that's going to reign in verse one, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to be powerful. And then we see that in verse two, he's got a mighty scepter. He is going to free people, but he's also going to give them holy garments in verse three. And the Lord isn't going to change his mind on this, but this person is going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then he comes back, as you said, he will shatter kings, execute judgment, and then I love the last verse. He will drink from the brook, by the way, therefore we will lift up his head. It's like, whoa, he just destroyed everyone, and now he just drinks <laughs> fancifully from a brook, and he's, he's good to go. All right, is there anything else you see in 110 that needs to be pulled out and talked about? Um, well, I think worth noting, and we didn't have a ton of time to, to dwell on this in the sermon, um, what, what Jesus is saying back in Mark 12, he makes this statement that David... He's on the outside watching this conversation, but Jesus makes the note that um, in verse 36, he says, David himself in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And this is a moment we don't normally get to see all three persons of the Trinity. Right. God in one, three persons in one. We don't see this often all in the same moment. And here you have David in the Spirit seeing this conversation between the Father and the Son, mm-hmm. or, or Yahweh and Adonai. Right. Yeah, because everybody believed that the second Adonai there is this Messiah figure, mm-hmm. and then everyone believes that Yahweh is what we consider Father at this point. So yeah, that's that's not that's great. And also you've got David being described as he's writing a psalm in the Holy Spirit. That doesn't... Mm-hmm. That, that's just like a thing that Jesus just throws out there that we should all stop and go, what? Now, I think it should be assumed that G, that David's writing in the Holy Spirit, but it's cool, like you said, not only to see the Trinity, but to know that David is writing his Psalms with the Holy Spirit leading, which is why right. yeah. we trust the text. It says what we want it to say, and meaning it says what God wants it to say, and we we know we can trust it. We can put our hope in it. Yeah, that's good. There's a powerful aspect to this individual. This individual is not just a normal lord or Adonai or king. This individual is going to have reign over all the other kings. There's no one else that can name that besides Messiah. So what Jesus is saying is, why why are you freaking out in Mark 12? Why are you freaking out about this? Because they're saying, how do we know that this, how is the Christ going to be the son of David? And he's like, well, David said so in the Holy Spirit right? Mm-hmm. The Lord said to my Lord, he's talking to the Messiah. You all agree that 110 is messianic, which there is no disagreement about, about this, whether it's Jewish or Christian. Everybody who's ever read this psalm is going, this is clearly a messianic psalm. And he's going, well, how can the Lord say to my Lord if it's not something else? And then how can David say that if it's not about his son? Because you all believe that David is sending a king that's going to eventually rule us. And now you've got in verse one, that ruler is the Lord who is being told by the Lord. So it's a really brilliant little move here that that Jesus is throwing down and he's going, all right, so what do you do with that? And then they're all listening to him in wonderment. Right. Which is surprising because he made a huge claim. Yeah. I mean, he's, Mark has been tracing this scribe theme over the, this chapter where Jesus has this good interaction with a scribe. Yep. And then ends by saying, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Right. He's not saying you're in for sure. 
or right. you're out. He's saying you're not far. Right. And then he moves, and then now Jesus is poking at what the scribes are saying. And then he's pointing to the Lord saying, or Yahweh saying, sit at my right hand. It's elevating this Messiah, whoever this will be, above David. Mm-hmm. And David, is, as the king, is so important to, to Jews. Yeah. And to say the Messiah, he's over David, not by a little. He's at the right hand yeah. of Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. And then this great crowd hears him gladly. which means that they've got to be thinking and we've already done the triumphal entry a couple of chapters before so you know the crowd is probably thinking that's exactly what we're talking about this is it Mm -hmm. Jesus has got to be it this is great you've already had people in Mark say how can anything good come from Nazareth and then they'll say things like we all know that prophets don't come from Galilee which is weird because Jonah did come from Galilee right (laughs) so clearly there's like at least one prophet uh and even Amos, the farmer, isn't from Galilee, but he's from not too far from Galilee. And, but Jesus now is in Jerusalem saying this, and then you've got all these messianic things that are in 110, but then also this, this phrase of, from Zion, the mighty scepter is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the crowd would have known he was born in Bethlehem, which is the city of David. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that they would be thinking about him as needing to set himself in David's throne to rule Israel. Do you know what I'm saying? But but he's starting to make these connections and they're going, okay, okay, okay. What's interesting is he is going to be crowned as a king in Jerusalem. What's interesting, he, he is going to, uh, I don't know, be set in a place of authority. It just happens to be a tomb, an, mm-hmm. un, an unmarked tomb uh, or an unused tomb by a, a rich man. But it doesn't go the way that you'd expect it to go in this this Psalm 110. Okay, what else in Psalm 110? Anything else or moving on? Um, it's okay either way. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to, no? to press into. It's all good. We'll save Melchizedek <laughs> for the end. So mm-hmm. let, let's do this. There's this idea that I think people miss in the Bible, and I I want to bring this up and get your feedback on it. I think Moses, we, there's no question Moses is sort of the king of Israel. And I don't mean that he's an actual king. I know that before you freak out and start sending <laughs> stuff to me, I know the first king of Israel is Saul. Even if you said that, your answer is technically wrong because the, the first king of Israel is supposed to be God. But I know that Saul is crowned king and he's the first quote unquote king. But the idea for Moses leading the people is a kingly post and a kingly duty, right? And he's judging Mm -hmm. the people. He's answering their legal questions. That's what kings do. That's what Solomon's doing when he's on his throne and people are coming to him and saying, what do we do about this? And he's like, cut the baby in half. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, okay, you're the mom. Take, you know, take it (laughs) off. Uh, So there's, there's a clear distinction that Moses is in charge of Israel. And there's even some fight amongst like, you know, his siblings, Aaron and Miriam are like, who who are you to rule us? You know, uh, and, but Moses is in charge. What's interesting is God seems to want Moses to do the whole job for him. Go speak on my behalf. Go do these things, which is the thing a priest does, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got the leadership element of a king, but then you've got a priestly duty that Moses is supposed to uphold as well. But Moses keeps panicking and backing out and saying, no, 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 send somebody else, send somebody else. So eventually God does. He sends Aaron. And there's many scholars that have written on this, and I, I believe it to be true. That the idea of a king and a priest together predated Moses, and we'll get to that in just a second, 
But in this moment with Moses, it gets rended apart. So instead of a king and a priest, you've got the king by himself, and then you've got priests by themselves, which comes into play in a bunch of different places in the scriptures when you have individuals running into the temple, acting as priests, and then they're judged for it, right? Uzziah uh, and and (laughs) others. So there's this idea that the king and the priest are actually supposed to be united. They're supposed to be one. And, And Moses breaks that up because of Moses's, I don't know, inability or, or, or de- lack of desire to do so. But what's beautiful is we see this in Jesus, that he brings back the idea of king and priest, right? Because there's all these posters of all the names of Jesus and stuff, and he is our great high priest. He's also the king of Israel. He is the, you know, the great prophet of old. So he holds all of the offices that Israel's looking for, a prophet, priest, and king, which I think is what it's supposed to be. But that idea doesn't necessarily make sense to everybody. So when you think about Moses, who's supposed to be king and priest, and it gets ripped away from him, what are some of the thoughts you have on that? What, what, what do you think about? Well, even if we just back up to the beginning, yep. the way God set up life in the garden, mm-hmm. he, he instructed Adam and Eve, here's the deal. You're going to rule. You're going to take care of what I've created. But at the same time, they're walking with God in that moment. Right. And although we don't see the words priest or king anywhere in totally. the beginning of Genesis, it's it's still there yeah. underneath. And then as we push forward, we start to see different people, like you have Abraham, mm-hmm. chosen. It's a family chosen, and he's not necessarily a king, but he's leading his family. Right. And he's not necessarily a priest, set but, up as a an official priest, but yet he still is. Yeah, and he's hearing from God directly. Right. Just like Adam is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then he's talking with... I mean, he's hearing from God. He's talking with Lot. He's talking with the rest of his family. And it keeps going forward. And then we have Moses, and we don't see it until after Jesus, but we see Moses, who's this mirror image in some sense of Jesus, where he's called to go in and rescue this people, God's people, and save them from slavery. Mm -hmm. But it's not quite the same as Jesus. No. Because Jesus is... The, the perfect Messiah. He's who he's supposed to be. Right. And Moses comes in, he does go, and there's these moments where you see God raising Moses above Pharaoh, saying, hey, when you interact with Pharaoh, you're going to be like God to him. You're, it's this, and then and he says, and Aaron will be like your prophet. But yeah, it's a different situation. Yeah, but it but that totally spells it out. I mean, you see this throughout the scripture. If we were to do a biblical theology on priest and king, it's all throughout the scriptures that there's this mm-hmm. connection between the two and you're going, why did the office get broken up? Which is why scholars have pointed to Moses as the chief culprit for this. But then if you go, oh, well, then is that really what God's intention was? I think Adam is a great example for that. I think Abraham is a great example for that. Noah would be a great example mm-hmm. as well, right? King and mm-hmm. priest and both. I mean, he's offering sacrifices after the flood is over. Who else is going to be in charge of the world except for the only guy that lives? <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? Like, there's an element there that that that's totally what he's supposed to be. So Moses, due to his inability or, or lack of desire, gets this position ripped apart, and Jesus brings it back together. But then it brings us back to this this chapter here in Psalm 110, which is really what Jesus was quoting in Mark 12, and it's what Jesus accomplishes. So the New Testament uses Psalm 110 more than any other passage of Scripture to tell us that Jesus is Messiah. Mm-hmm. So that is interesting. 
you've got Psalm 2, Psalm 8, and Psalm 110 are the key ones that are used. But Psalm 110 gets used all the time. And, and in the, the book of Hebrews, they decide to use the verse that you pointed out earlier, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so w- what does it even mean and who is Melchizedek? What are your thoughts on that? Well, let's back up to Genesis yeah. 14. And sure. there's the moment uh, where you see Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem. Right. And he's interacting with... Abraham. Abraham, right. Yeah. And and there's this moment and Abraham ends up giving 10% or tithing right. this to this priest king person right. who's Melchizedek. And we don't know a lot no. about who he is, but... There are these, there's these things running underneath because he's the king of Salem. Salem is peace. And it's not for sure, but we know a city that has yeah. that same name, it, Jerusalem, right. or the city of peace. Right. And whether that's the same city or whatever's going on, but you have Melchizedek, this priest king ruling in Salem. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to have Jerusalem with kings in it, and eventually Jesus I mean, if we shoot to the complete other end of the Bible, right. Jesus coming back victorious as this priest king on the throne in Jerusalem. Totally. totally. It's beautiful. Yeah, the word Jerusalem is an interesting one, and you just pointed it out, but the the Hebrew word for it is Yerushalayim, mm-hmm. and Ir is the the Hebrew word for city, which if you're not listening to the Bible Project podcast on on city or ear right now you're missing out and you need to go mm-hmm. listen to it even if you're listening to this years from now because we're in 2023 if you're listening to this years from now and you're like i still haven't heard that and then go back and listen to the bible project podcast on city the the word ear means right a walled enclosure where a lot of people live and so now just sort of shows up as the king of salem and so later on david uses the same name, Salem, Shalim, right? Shalom, this idea of peace. And he creates the city of peace or Ir Yerushalayim, which is city mm-hmm. of peace. That's probably the best way to translate that. So, but all of a sudden there's this king standing outside of Salem saying, all right, Abraham, uh, we saved you. Feeling good about this? <laughs> and Abraham's like, yeah, here's a bunch of stuff. And he gives him 10% of everything that he just got. And the king just walks away and that's it. And that's all we know about him. <laughs> Except it says that he's a king and he's a priest of the most high God in Genesis mm-hmm. 14. Okay. So now we go into like the crazy speculation world. And so let me just throw out a couple things. Uh, that's in Genesis 14. <laughs> all right. In Psalm 110, he's quoted. And then in Hebrews, there's the only three times in scripture that it shows up at all, mm-hmm. his name. What's weird is, in, in Qumran, they give this guy an extremely high place. So Qumran would be where what we think of as the, you know, we think the Essenes, but who knows who actually lived there. But it's where the Dead Sea Scrolls are found. That's right. That Qumran yep. caves is where these things are found. So in these caves, we have all of these documents that talk about how great Melchizedek is. In fact, most of the documents we have are actually named Melchizedek something. So 11Q Melchizedek is one of them. And it describes him as a central figure in the work of God on earth. And they even place him as the one who God is talking to in Psalm 82. And Psalm 82 says, God talks to his divine counsel 
And they say that one of these individuals is Melchizedek, who's telling everybody else what to do. So they go crazy, and all the rabbis now say, you know, there's no way, this is ridiculous, uh, the people in the Essenes are crazy, or the, the Qumran community is crazy. So they kind of kick it all out. But So that's interesting to me, that there's this this sort of idea that, that Melchizedek's a big deal, he's sitting right next to God, he's in God's right hand, which then makes a ton of sense when you go back to Psalm 110, he's saying, the Lord says to my Lord, they're saying, oh, he's a Messiah figure, he's this messianic figure from the Old Testament, so since he's an Old Testament messianic figure, let's put him at the right hand of God and let's do this thing. In mainline Judaism today, he is just an interesting individual. He is righteous. There's nothing about him that's bad in the text. Well, of course not, because mm-hmm. he shows up for like one verse. So how could he possibly do anything wrong? But he's also a king and a priest, which, like I said, is what we were expecting of that position to be put together. It's Moses that rends it apart. But he's also a king and a high priest in the holy city of Jerusalem, like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So you put all those things together, there's a ton of rabbinical work on who Melchizedek is. Uh, it's everything from he's just the first king of Israel, he's not even a real being. Uh, there's others that say he's the first king of Israel, he's actually a spiritual being, like he's one of these angels that God sent down and he's just watching over the city. And so Abraham realizes what he's doing and hands it over to him. There's a crazy idea out there that he's Shem. I don't know if you've heard this. <laughs> Noah's son. Yes. Shem. Yeah. So Noah's son Shem gets off of the ark. And in order to pull that off, you've got to change all of the dates and the figures of how long people lived after <laughs> in Genesis 9 and 10. And so they do that. They change all the dates and the figures in the Mesoretic text and some other places to sort of like squeeze it together so that Shem can be the one. But can you imagine Noah's son Shem, <laughs> the father of Abraham, by the way, he'd be like the great, great grandfather right, or whatever. Right. He's just standing there and Abraham walks by. And he's like, whoa, wait, who are you? Like, <laughs> but then it, it, but what's weird about it is he's named Melchizedek, which isn't actually a name. It's a title. Right. And there's multiple ways to look at it. You could, because Melech is king. Melki is what happens when you're either giving the king a name, which Zedek means righteousness. Mm-hmm. So one way to pronounce this would be uh, king of righteousness. Another way to say this would be king my righteousness. So mm-hmm. it, so then in one sense, you could be saying he's the king who looks to my righteousness, which is God. Right. So he's sort of God's king, priest guy, just hanging out in, in Salem. Uh, and then in the middle of all that, you go, I don't... I have no idea what to do with any of that. Welcome to 2,000 years, 4,000 years of scholarship. I mean, ever since mm-hmm. this happened with Abraham in about 1800 BC, people, rabbis, you know, scholars, everybody else, they've been fighting about who is Melchizedek. So with that said, Mark, who is Melchizedek? <laughs> You've got to answer the question for us. 3,800 years of scholarship, nobody agrees. Who is Melchizedek? We have no idea. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fantastic answer. <laughs> but, but we do know, and, and what's important, he's this priest king. Um, and, and even what you were just talking about with his name, wherever it's reflecting, but this king and righteousness, they're going together. Right. Whether it's describing him or saying Yahweh, the, the king, the king of kings is righteous. So there's something, even though we don't know much, there's something important about him, especially when you start flipping through Psalm 110 and then Hebrews. Because yeah. Hebrews, for three chapters, they're just pulling him back up. This right. king going, here's Jesus, here's Melchizedek. Jesus is the greater. He's the fulfillment. He is yeah. this priest king. So every scholar that I've read on Hebrews, 
and this is the point they think Jesus is trying to make here, and we'll end with this, is there is a priest who has no lineage. He doesn't have a family. We don't know his father and mother. We don't know anything. So he just sort of shows up out of nowhere in the text. He is righteous. He is a king. He is a priest. And when you put all those things together and the fact that he rules in Jerusalem, he is so unique that he's a priesthood that is outside of time, outside of space. And they're saying Jesus, who's the ultimate Messiah, has that same role. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't need a lineage like we think of it. He, you know, he doesn't... Yes, he has a mom, but his dad is clearly not Joseph, right? There's There's mm-hmm. this thing going on there. And so the fact that he just sort of shows up out of nowhere, he also is our king who reigns forever. He's a priest who reigns forever. So therefore, he's in the order of Melchizedek. He has no lineage. Mm -hmm. He has no way of saying, this is where I come from. This is where I'm going. I am unique. I'm above everyone else. They're saying, because this individual is the order of Melchizedek, it's clear that that's talking about Messiah. And because Messiah also is Jesus, as he claimed here, those two things go together. 